All right, take your Bibles, if you would, and uh, open up to Galatians chapter 5, chapters 22 to 26. One of the things that uh, is a constant emphasis when we uh, are at church together is the inner heart. Uh, Many of us know that it's easy to posture, right? And we've done it in different settings, right? What people think I am versus what I really am or uh, what I battle with, nobody knows, I keep that to myself. Uh, but God always works at the heart. Uh, if you remember the story of Samuel when he came to anoint God's anointed, and he was sent to the family of Jesse. And he saw the oldest son. He said, oh, surely this is the Lord's anointed. And God said, don't look at the outward appearance. He says, uh, God does not look at man that way, but he looks at the heart. And so one of the things we're in a constant process of is kind of remanufacturing our hearts. Uh, remolding them, letting the Holy Spirit get a hold of the inner motives and the inner battles that we have and yielding and submitting. And of course, that's such an easy process, right? (laughs) No, it's hard. But we're going to be looking this morning at the fruit of the Spirit. And it's going to be part one this week and then part two next week. And I just want you to have that mindset of um, the internal part of you, the part that God wants to speak to. So let's pray this morning. Father, um, your word's pretty accurate, and I'm not. So I hope that your word will be effective for us in the next couple of weeks as we're talking about the fruit of your spirit in our life and in our heart. We ask that um, you would help us become like you, to look like you, to act like you, to think like you. And uh, Lord, that it would be uh, uh, observable by other people. And so as we wrestle with that, as we look at it, Lord, would you protect us from the Satan doing a couple things? One, just an overarching guilt that we already tip out. Lord, that's uh, not of your spirit. And uh, would you also protect us from pride? I'm way better than others and have come a lot farther than others, so I'm okay. Would you protect us from both those extremes and just uh, have uh, a good coaching time with us about what you, what steps you'd like uh, each of us individually and as couples, as families to take, and may that be uh, a, a worthy conversation over the next two weeks. And we give that to you in your name. Amen. In Galatians uh, 5, we have been talking about the battle with the tongue and the two natures, and now we come to this passage here, which is the second or the second half of the chapter, and it reads like this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. So when we're looking at this passage, uh, let's go all the way back to the beginning when someone gets saved. When a person becomes saved, or we would say new in Christ, one of the first things that's usually recognized by people around them is the transformation from who they used to be to who they become, right? It's pretty obvious in new believers. There's this, and like, wow, and it's pretty evident. The question, though, is what happens uh, to those of us who have been around for a long time? You know, how does that transformation process keep working 
um, this transformation was evident last week, I think, when uh, both, when the, the four people shared, but especially in uh, Bob's testimony and especially in Brady's testimony of the difference that uh, Jesus actually made in terms of not only the type of person they were, but the course direction of their life had radically changed. And um, they talked about that. This transformation is the beginning work of the Holy Spirit. It's called justification. We are justified. In other words, when God looks at us, it's just as if he looked at his son. And what God's saying is, hey, it's washed now. It's covered. It's under the bridge. You're in my son. And um, he loves us as we are. But God uh, loves us as as we are, but he also loves us too much to let us stay that way. Right? You notice that? If you've had any kind of conversation with Jesus and the Holy Spirit, it's about, hey, we should take this step. Uh, we can't stay where we are. We need to move this way and um, lean this way. And this transformation is the continued process we know as sanctification. It's the process by which we become more and more like Jesus. This is, contrary to popular opinion, not a straight-line linear process. Any of you notice that? It is full of, uh, it's fraught with many ups and downs, places where it speeds up, places where it slows down, it has twists and turns, and lessons that we would have never anticipated. Um, Those of us who've been walking with the Lord for more than 20 years, could you have looked back and predicted the last 20 years? Isn't that astounding? And and you just go, wow, that's a a pretty amazing thing. And we shouldn't be surprised by this. It takes time to produce good fruit. You know, if you think about this is fall harvest now, and the, the apples are on the trees, and there's all that. But the, they've been subject to all kinds of weather and wind and lightning storms and all that kind of stuff. And <clears throat> it hasn't been a straight line process for the fruit. And that is also true that it takes time uh, to produce good fruit. It takes time to produce good character. And so uh, Eugene Peterson, a distinguished Christian author, he's the author of The Message and several real famous Christian books, but he calls it uh, a long obedience in a right direction, right? And you just keep stepping. Uh, part of what's at stake here and very necessary is the distinction between and the discernment of the battle between the two natures. The farther you go in the Christian life, you start to realize there are two real kingdoms operating within us. And you have to start to become discerning of those kingdoms in which kingdom you're stepping in. Um, the two natures, the flesh or sinful nature, and the spirit. And as we said in the past few weeks, this battle usually shows up in our language. Our, our tongue reflects what's going on in our hearts. When we ferret everything else out of that issue, at the bottom, it's always revealed as an authority issue. It's always about control. It's always about who's in charge. I titled this one, You've Got to Serve Somebody. Uh, Paul coined that term long before Bob Dylan did. All right? And he says this, Don't you know, this is in Romans chapter 6, Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey them as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. Now, that passage goes on to say, But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly... And there's the key word. You wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. 
You've been set free from the law of sin and have become slaves to righteousness. But the picture here is, don't you know that when you present yourself to someone as a slave, you become uh, obedient to the one you present yourself to? So if you present yourself to the Lord and say, I will be your servant, I will be your slave, then you become obedient to him. If you present it to sinful nature or to Satan, then you become his slave. And this uh, battle, in this battle, what's really at stake, I know we know this, but let's reiterate it again. What's really at stake is the issue of ownership. All right? Who owns us? Now, we live in a culture where people go, nobody owns me, right? And I'm going, uh, I understand that mentality, but I know that uh, it comes down to you've got to serve somebody. You either serve the Lord Jesus or you serve the enemy. Who is your leader? Is it the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ or is it Satan? And the issue is also one of yielding. Who do you yield to? Do you tend to yield to the flesh or do you tend to yield to the spirit? As you think about, not as we're here this morning, but when you're gone during the week, those private time ones, no one's around and your thoughts can go wherever they want to because nobody knows you're thinking them. Which, which way do your thoughts tend to bend internally? The issue is also one of submission. Who do you obey? Submission is kind of a dirty word in our culture, but it's one of submission. Who do you obey? The term here used to illustrate the idea is slavery. Um, a slave has no rights. And so who has mastered you is the key question. Has righteousness mastered us or has sin mastered us? And after you've been at it a while, you'll begin to see and understand the difference between the two kingdoms and the two natures. We've been talking about it, but I thought it'd be fun to put it in a slide and just take a look at the distinctives between the two. Um, so here's the kingdom of Jesus and here's the kingdom of Satan. What's the language of the kingdom of Jesus? We said the language of the kingdom is truth, right? We say, why shouldn't we lie? We shouldn't lie because God doesn't lie. God does not lie. It's not in his nature to lie because he is the spirit of truth. On the other hand, uh, Satan is called not only a liar, but the father of lies. And when he lies, he speaks his native language. In other words, he's fluent in it. He's very good at it. He's a master of it. Uh, when we look at the nature of the two kingdoms, the nature of the kingdom of heaven is the spirit. The nature of the kingdom of uh, Satan is the sinful nature or the flesh. When we say flesh, we're not talking about our bodies. Okay, We're not talking about there's something inherently wrong with our bodies. We're talking about uh, the fall. We're talking about the sinful nature that marks us if you're talking about the tone of the kingdom the tone of the kingdom of heaven of jesus is light the tone of the kingdom of satan is darkness i am always amazed i don't know if you are but how into uh halloween some of my neighbors get the attraction to darkness the attraction to um that spirit of that now i know some of it's i mean okay don't take that too far i know it's fun and all that kind of stuff but I'm just amazed at how they will launch headlong into demons and ghouls 
and all that kind of stuff. And yet, if you tried to talk to them about Jesus, whoa, don't don't bring that stuff to me. And I'm just that just always catches me that way. The expression we talked about uh, last week, the expression of the kingdom is blessing. God wants to speak a blessing into our lives, and we are to speak blessing into other lives. The expression of the kingdom of Satan is cursing, condemn. Go to H-E double toothpicks, right? Look at that, I'm expressing great self-control this morning. You ought to be proud of me. Right? It's a tone of blessing, blessing versus cursing. The fruit of the kingdom is life. Right? In Jesus' kingdom, it produces life. The fruit of the kingdom of Satan is death. So when you look at this, when you separate these out, you really are able to, during the week, sort through your world and ask yourself, which side is it landing on? Because there's several key indicators that would tell you which camp you're landing in. And if you're in the wrong camp, it's easy to take a good step into the right camp. Now, another thing that... Um, needs to be brought up or thought in this when it comes to the fruit of the Spirit is that it is not by law, but it's by grace. Uh, It says in Romans uh, chapter 7, it says, So my brothers, you also died to the law through the body of Christ that you might belong to one another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that what? We might bear fruit. The fruit of the kingdom that we just looked at at the last slide It says in this passage, we died to the law through the body of Christ that we might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit to God. So the whole idea here is that God's grace is at work in our life. Uh, Ephesians tells us, for it is by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by work so that no one can boast. No one can will their way into heaven or work their way into heaven. It is given as a gift. It is given as a grace gift from God of which we accept and surrender to. And we step into that life. So when we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit, um, it's natural, I think, to think in two very human ways. First one is, others are better at some of these uh, than I am. Right? Well, they're just naturally good at that, and they were wired that way, so I'm just not good at that, so I can't do it. The other one is, I had better work harder to be those things, or I'm in a lot of trouble. You have the mindset, any of you, that you look at a list and can pick out the ones you don't do and go, oh, I'm dead. Right? Ah! Okay? And, uh, you know, just... and So there's there's those two ways... Um, but I want to use these two verses to help us understand that they are a product of grace working in our life and the natural result of becoming like who we follow and who we submit to. You become like your leader. Jesus himself said this. In the end, a student will be like his teacher. And so it becomes who you allow to teach you. Who's your leader? Because you become like the one you follow. And if you follow your selfishness or your sinful nature, you'll become like that leader. If you follow the Spirit, then you'll become like that leader. And so uh, it's important. It is not law like uh, getting an A on a report card, but rather God's grace and power working in us so that we would bear fruit. And one of the things you soon realize, uh, some of you may have realized this, as you try to live 
the Christian life is that the Christian life is not just difficult, but impossible to do on a human effort or will. Any of you tried in your own strength, I am going to do the Christian life by gum, right? And that becomes a uh, brutal struggle uh, because as you do it in your own strength and in your own flesh, what you realize is how short you fall. And you tend to feel more condemned than blessed. And it isn't until you yield and realize, I can't do it. I need the Lord's help. I need His Spirit to help me become the things I need to become that you're able uh, to do it. The idea is to cooperate with God in following the lead of His Holy Spirit to live a righteous life that is a witness to other people. And that idea there is that it can be transforming. We talk about transformation, but if we cooperate, it really can be. And then the gospel speaks out of our life. St. Francis said, share the gospel always, and if all else fails, use words. Right? He was talking about live your life in such a way that people will have to ask the question. Now, we often, here's where we make the mistake. We often go, okay, that means outwardly, I better do these things. And it becomes a to-do list. No. Here's where we miss. It's talking about internally becoming those things. It comes out of your heart. It comes out of internally who you are because your actions will follow your heart. You become like what your heart is. If your heart is good, if your heart is filled with the Spirit, your actions will follow. Likewise, if your thoughts inside are dark, if your thoughts inside are angry, your thoughts inside are ugly, no matter of camouflaging on the outside will cover that up. People, after a while, get to know your heart. And that's what they're drawn and attracted. I can prove this to you. Uh, you ever known uh, some people who are believers who, when you first met them, you went, man, they're, they're kind of ugly looking. Kind of dorky looking. Kind of weird looking. Kind of eclectic. Kind of dorky. Right? And then you get to know them. You go on a retreat or you spend time or you're doing a, a mission together or you're doing, and the person emerges out of that and after a while you don't even really notice how they look anymore because they are such beautiful people. And well, every once in a while God and the Holy Spirit will bring you back. Remember what you thought of them when you first saw them and what you think of them now? And you don't even real, recognize how they look anymore because what do you see? You see their spirit, you see their heart, and their heart and spirit is beautiful and it glows. And at that point, do looks really matter? No, because who they are way emerges past what they look like. On the other hand, have you ever noticed some really handsome, stunning, beautiful, gorgeous people that you just go, wow, GQ, baby, they got it all, right? And you just think, man, they would be awesome people to know. And the more you hang out with them, the more you go, not so much. Ooh. Wow, they are mean and petty and selfish. And if you spend any length of time with them, after a year or two, do they even look beautiful to you? Once you know their heart? No, right? So I want us to get that, that heart part here. The idea here is that God's life manifests itself in us as we grow in our relationship to him. So let's go back to the passage in Galatians and look at the actual fruit. Hey, here's the fruit of the Spirit. We read that list. Love, joy, peace, faith, blah, 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 right? We rattle it off. 
And we, we treat that rather shabbily most of the time. And it's kind of a, a list we hope our children get. Right? It's kind of that sort of thing. Instead, let's look at it as a list that we should get. And, and look at the actual character qualities. So the first one is, the fruit of the Spirit is love. The word there, love, is agape. It is not phileo or eros. Eros is physical love. Phileo is brotherly love. This is agape. This is a revealed love from God that we would know nothing about. And here's the problem with the church. We've known this word for 2,000 years now, so we think we're in charge of it and we control and manufacture it. We do not. All you have to do is try and love the way God loves and you realize we are very bad at it. We are very bad at it in our marriages. We're very bad at it with our children. We're very bad at it with ourselves, And we're very bad at it with God. Ching, ching, ching. Thanks for playing. Okay? And you start realizing to love like God is a miraculous deal. To love in an agape way as God loves is very, very different than the way humans love because we love in kind. And what I mean by in kind is uh, I'm looking at Kirk here. So Kirk and I go way back and we like fishing and we've been buddies for years and you know we were in youth group together and we did missions trips together and, and therefore I like Kirk, Kirk likes me and because he's been good to me, I've been good to him, therefore we're buddies, right? Now, if Kirk's bad to me, well, I used to be able to beat him up. I can't anymore, okay? He's bigger than me. But in youth group years, I'd beat him up, right? Because he didn't do what I wanted him to do and he'd make me mad. And right, we play tit for tat like that. And if you aren't good to me, then you're off my list. <sighs> Done with you. Thank you very much. Thanks for playing. Gong. Right? And we realize that in human loves, we measure it that way most of the time. God does not measure it that way. He loves us regardless of how we react. Now, that doesn't mean he'll put up with it. But he loves us. It's an agape love. He sent his son while we were still yet what? sinners when does jesus reach out to us when we've got it all together or when we're broken when we're broken that is the difference between us and god god's love is an agape love so when it says the fruit of the spirit is love uh many times we go oh i'm good at loving you should duck right about then okay because almost invariably some test will come in your life to show you how bad at loving you are those of us who know we are bad at loving duck likewise because we really don't want that to come up, uh, some test where we have to love. Have you ever been asked by God to love somebody that's hard for you to love? Did you learn anything about God in the process of doing that? Very much so. You learn that God's very different than us and you need Him very badly because we are not capable of loving the way He loves. The second one, ah, I like this one, joy. Okay? I always tell people joy is a choice. Right? Uh, but joy, this word here, chara, is gladness of heart. In the New Testament, it shows up as greetings, right? The idea there is, greetings doesn't kind of convey it, but like, you know, you can say greetings sort of thing. But think of when you meet a really, really good buddy or friend, right? And, uh, and, and you haven't seen each other for a while. When you say hi, do you just walk up and go, like if I see Matt, right? Matt, I go, if I just go, oh, hey, Matt. You know, I hadn't seen Matt in two years. Oh, nice to see you. You okay? Good. Yeah, fine. Okay. Is that how we'd greet? No, it'd be, Matt, dude, what a big hug, right? And bump, bump, you know, and because I'm, it, it's the idea of there, he, 
I get joy from seeing him. Okay, that's my friend. Okay, this is that word joy uh, as used as greeting in the New Testament. The word we've been talking about is blessing. Joy carries, conveys this idea of blessing. Okay, uh, I'm thrilled to be in this relationship. Now, here's the difference between joy and happiness is that happiness depends on circumstances. If you give me a new Corvette or a four-wheel drive truck this morning, and I get to go fishing in Alaska, and um, then I'm happy, okay? But if I don't get any of those things, then I'm not happy, right? Joy is separate from that. Joy is, I am full of joy whether I get what I want or not. That's the difference. Have you ever realized that in prayer? When you are pounding on God for something, I want this, you need to give me this. This is even in your timing. It is of holiness. It is of the kingdom. And you should give that to me now. <laughs> Amen. And you're, I'm your son and you love me. You'd give it to me, wouldn't you? Right? <laughs> you ever have that? You ever been just pounding that way? And have you ever realized, you got to the place where you realized God wasn't going to answer that prayer? Only Jesus knows why, but for some reason he wouldn't answer that prayer. And you had to choose joy anyways, right? That's a big part of the Christian life is uh, we have got to get to the place of realizing God has the right to say no. And we have to have joy anyways. That's really the test, isn't it? Can you have joy when God says no? And then peace. Irene, a Greek word for it. Uh, this would be the Christian equivalent to shalom, God's gift to us. And one of the things you realize again, do we normally have peace as people internally? Now, we, we, can we look pretty peaceful on the outside, right? But do we normally have peace on the inside? No, we don't. I'm looking at some of my friends going, uh, uh, <laughs> okay. no, we don't, all right? Jesus says, my peace I leave you, my peace I give to you. I do not give as the world gives. You have peace because you have me, not because your circumstances are good. Have you ever learned that lesson? You ever been agitated and frustrated and distraught inside and then finally realized, you know, circumstances probably aren't going to change. I'm just going to have peace. I'm going to have to have the Lord's peace over it and yield that way. Okay. We're doing good. This is only a third of the list. Keep going, all right? It gets better. Yes, it does. Look at this. The next one in the list is patience. Aha! <laughs> okay, if you were doing good up to this point. <laughs> all right, gong. Thanks for playing. Here we go. All right, patience. Now, here's the definition of patience. L read this definition. This word, I can't even pronounce it, marakathumia, is the quality of putting up with others even when one is severely tried. This is not patience in just everyday circumstances, although we need that, you know, right? Driving on the freeway and all that kind of stuff. Standing in line, um, working at, you know, trying to get through the line at the grocery store or that kind of stuff. But this is when I am tried in circumstances and I have God's patience with it. That's a difference. That's, this is under pressure that I have patience. And it says the fruit of the Spirit is patience. Um, I got accused one time of having more patience than Jesus, and I said, no, I have patience because of Jesus. All right? There's a big difference. 
kindness. To be gracious and gentle to others with our words or actions like God has been to us. Here's an interesting one because our kindness often has to do with our words, right? Our words. One of the most interesting places where kindness hits the wall is in parenting. Because we tend to be harsh in our tone with our words when we parent. We don't want to, but we sound just like our mother and father. We reproduce the tone exactly. Have you ever heard yourself sounding like your mom or dad and swore to yourself you would never do that? It takes the fruit of the Spirit, cooperating with the Holy Spirit, to put kindness into your words as you are parenting with children. Does kindness come natural to parents? Not if you've got a two-year-old. Right? All right. It takes, right, moms? That's hard. There's a lot of pressure. I'm not finding fault with it. I'm just saying here's where we are, right? Dads, you come home from work all day, and mom says, here's your children. Deal with them. <laughs> Do you feel like being kind to them at that point? Do your words, hey, son, sit down. Let's talk. Okay? Or is it, what were you doing, Right? Kindness, it has to do, it reflects that gracious and gentle to others with our words or action. Um, this can be true in church. How many of us have uh, had somebody speak in an unkind way to us in a church setting? You ever been barked at? If you haven't, come up to my office. It, it happens on a regular basis. Right? It is hard to respond in kindness when someone barks at you like that. That is not just skill or uh, savvy or good political uh, knowledge. It is uh, something of the Spirit to respond not in kind and to respond with, with kind words. All right? Goodness. Goodness uh, is describing uh, human nature as it ought to be, reflecting the nature of God. This is being genuinely good inside. Uh, Jesus looked at Nathaniel and said, Ah, an Israelite in whom there is no guile. There's no duplicity. Uh, it's, it's straight up. He's a good man inside. Okay? And being a good woman inside is the idea of this goodness is what's from within you, not something you tape on the outside of you. Again, it comes from out of the heart. It's describing human nature as it ought to be. And how do we know that? What it ought, right? We all have this sense of what it ought to be. How do we know that? It's the witness of God in creation. It's the witness of God's nature and everything that has been created, including us. And what do we know? When God looked at the creation, He said what? It is good. And because of the fall, we know a lot of things aren't good. But when the Holy Spirit comes into life and when the Holy Spirit works and creates salvation and creates that spirit nature inside of us, we can be what again? Good. All right? And the question is, usually there, do we want to be because we usually want to be sassy sometimes. All right, on to the fruit of the Spirit. Faithfulness, uh, pistis. This is the one who can be relied on or trustworthy. Uh, scripture says, many a man proclaims his faithfulness, but who can find a faithful person? All right. Uh, Jesus never entrusted himself, it says, because he knew what was in man. And what was missing in man was faithfulness. Uh, you can learn faithfulness from the Holy Spirit. And then 
gentleness. By the way, gentleness uh, on this one, especially guys, um, we think this is a weakness one. Well, if I'm, I'm gentle, I'm weak, I'm a mamby-pamby, I'm, you know, a, a Johnny Milk Toast, and I'm just going to, hi, I'm Stephen, I'm gentle, I hope you like me, okay? That is not what we're talking about here, all right? What we're talking about here is extreme power under self-control that treats others gently. I'm going to illustrate that for you in just a second, but just gentleness is not being severe, rough, or violent towards others. And then the last one, if you've had no struggle at all with this list, self-control. Right? And when we're looking at self-control, this word is the quality that gives victory over fleshly desires, uh, closely related to chastity of mind and conduct. So there's a number of places this shows up with our words, right? Uh, eating, our habits of eating, uh, purity, right? Our thought control inside mind. Do we choose purity or impurity? That's a huge battle in our culture uh, today. There's, those are several of the major playgrounds that this word uh, operates in um, that we're working with. It's the ability to say yes to the things of the Spirit and no to the things of the sinful nature. Now notice as we go through this list that the nature of the Holy Spirit is opposite of, of Satan and in Satan's nature, he is always wired to kill, steal, and destroy. That is the nature of Satan's kingdom is to kill, steal, and destroy. What does he want to kill, steal, and destroy? These precious things that the Holy Spirit puts in our life and wants to grow and build. He wants to steal the fruit. He wants to rob it. He wants to make us... Uh, empty and um, bankrupt. Uh, Next week, we'll look at how this plays out in individual lives. But for right now, just look at that list. Could you or would you trust somebody who has these character qualities? If you met a person who had those character qualities, would you be able to trust them? Right? Pretty easy. Right? This is not just a list. What I want to suggest to you this morning this is not a list, but a description of who Jesus is. This is the type of person that Jesus is. And so when we say you should trust Christ or that you should place your faith in him, this is the kind of person we're asking you to trust. So if you're here this morning and you don't know the Lord and you're kind of just checking out the Christian faith or you've been for a long time and you've been holding out and you're just kind of going, I don't know which way I'll land or this kind of stuff. When we're talking about this is the kind of person we're asking you to trust. All right, so here's the crucial decision. I I call it the crucial decision uh, done multiple times over. (laughs) Here we go. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. And here is the issue of the cross. If I want to follow Christ, I, if I want to become like Jesus, then there are some things that I must die to. That's never changed. When we come to the Christian life, we understand inherently that there are some things I have to come alive to, but there are also some things that have to die. There are some things I have to kill that have life that they're growing off another vine and it's not the vine of jesus where jesus says i am the 
I'm the, you are the branches, I am the vine. This is a different vine, different vine, and it's growing bad fruit. And it has to be chopped off and cut out of our life. Those certain thought patterns, those certain tapes, those certain things that I have, those certain inclinations that I know of or flesh or nature that have to, have to die. So here's some questions this morning. Not guilt, just kind of looking at the landscape, right? Question number one is, do I really see sin as sin? Do I really see sin as sin? When I say I am including me in there. Uh, We live in a whole generation that is, as the military would describe it, declassifying sin. Right? Uh, Nothing, uh, if you believe the current mantra, is sin anymore. Um, There is no hell. There is no afterlife. um, There is no sin. And so uh, (coughs) sleeping together before you're married isn't sin anymore. Smoking marijuana isn't sin anymore. I mean, just go through the list, right? It's, it's gambling isn't sin anymore. Drunkenness isn't sin anymore. There, there, there is no sin anymore. So just you are entitled to do what you want to do. Uh, but if you read Scripture, it's trying to point out to us that's not true. From God's perspective, there's, there's still sin. So do, do I really see sin as sin? How do, how do I see that? Here's a, maybe a better way to ask the question. Do I agree with God and do I agree with his revealed word on what has to die in my sinful nature? And that question is this. Do I really see my sin as sin? Okay. I see your sin as sin. But do I see my sin as sin? Right? It's really easy to spot it in you. It's not so easy to spot it in me. And so a lot of times... Uh, what we do is we monitor other people's sin, but we're, we're, we have a blind spot with ours. Have you ever asked the Lord to reveal your sin to you or to reveal your blind spot to you? That would be, of course, assuming that you might think there is one. But if you don't think there's one, it, one of the prayers that's like praying for patience, right? We don't want to do that. One of the prayers that's really a transparent prayer is, Lord, I wonder, I see other people having blind spots. I just kind of wonder if I might have one. I don't really want to know if I have one, but I just might kind of sort of have one. If I did, and if I had the heart to, could I cooperate with you? Would you reveal that to me? That's a pretty scary and bold prayer. The words aren't that big. But the effect of it is pretty powerful. Jesus, could I see me the way you see me? Now certainly there would be a great side to that, right? Because he loves us. That would be awesome. Because a lot of us don't get in touch with that really well. But there's also a scary side to that. What do you actually see in my life, Lord, that has to change? That, that's a, a, a much scarier one. And then here's even the scarier question. Once I see that, let's, let's say the Lord would reveal that to us, and let's say we each had a, a sin area or a blind spot we're not aware of, and the Lord would make that aware to us. Once I see that, here's the $50 question. Do I really want it to die? Have you ever uh, loved your sin? Coddled it, petted it? protected and hid it 
so it wouldn't be discovered? How do you react when God tells you you're not, tells you that it not only has to go, but it has to die? It has to be eliminated, to be walked completely away from. Do I really want it to die? We'll look a little further at that next week. But in the passage, it says this. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And I had Zach find me a picture of a dad walking with a son. This is one of my favorite analogies of the whole Christian life. When you look at that, by the way, when we talk about gentleness, in that picture, whose hand is more powerful? The dad's, right? Therefore, by definition, whose hand has to be more gentle? The dad's. We should be filled with joy knowing that our Heavenly Father has been kind and gentle to us and very patient with us. Could He crush us if He wanted to? Yes, He could. And we should be joyful children that He hasn't. But this picture of the dad walking with the son is talking about being in step with him. You know, it's not good if the son dawdles behind and drags his feet and do we really have to go this way and you're walking too fast and I'm tired, I need a drink. Oh, yeah. Right? <laughs> or if you don't have that son as a son, but you have Johnny Jackrabbit as a son. Bing, 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 get back here. Right? That kind of kid, right? And we tend to do both of those uh, with the Lord. We either race out ahead of them. I've got this one for you, Jesus. I'll cover it. Yeah, it's good. You go run the rest of the universe. I'll take care of this one. Or we drag way behind, right? Come on, I need you to step to this. Ah, uh, this week? How about next? How, next month sounds really much better to me, okay? Or like five years from now. Let's get on that one. You ever stalled? The reconstruction project inside your heart that the Holy Spirit's been trying to do, just put it on time delay and, and say, I, I don't, I don't want to go there. This uh, walking with the Spirit and keeping step with the Spirit, we're going to look at more next week. But here's the question off of that, right? There's the two natures, the two kingdoms. There's the, my sin nature and the nature of the Spirit. And I know some stuff's got to come alive and some stuff's got to die and, and, and all this. Here's the question of the morning. For us as believers and as, as children of the great king, I think it's a great question. Do we really want to become like Jesus? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Do I really want to become like him? Do I really want to be like him or do I like me? I want a good me, a polished me, a nice me, a savvy me, a wise me, a confident me. And we'll leave it at that. I will be a good person. But then I reserve the right here on the back shelves to keep some things going that I know aren't holiness, but all said and done, I'm a pretty good person. And if nobody looks in those back closets, I'm fine. Right? And one of the things you realize with Jesus is that he wants to renovate the house. And he starts from the inside out. Right? And... Have you ever had them renovating in your spiritual house and you've let him in on all the rooms except one back closet? You don't want him to look in to see what's in there? How well does that work? 
right? And the real question this morning, when it comes to the fruit of the Spirit and, and taking this on is, and I ask myself this as well, having known the Lord for 33 years, do I really want to become like Jesus? Do I want his life inside of me or do I just want to be close enough that I get in? You ever had that mentality? What's it take to get in? If I just have the go to heaven card, aren't I good enough? And can I have a little fun besides? And I'll get in anyway, so there's nothing lost, right? And I want to suggest that comes straight from hell. The devil's very good at that. He knows how to whisper that way. And so this morning, not... Uh, in a guilt way, but in a reflection way, do I really want to become like him? On, on what level would you answer that this morning when it comes to the fruit of the Spirit and how much you and I have personally yielded control in those areas? Do I really want to become like Jesus? Let's close on that note. Father, as we think about that, that's a, a, a great hanger to leave us on in terms of thought for this week and when we come back next week. Lord, uh, that is a different question than do I go to church? That's a different question than am I a Christian? That's a different question than am I a good person? That's a question of how much do I sense my need to become like you? and to reflect your nature out of my life. I pray that you would help us be radiant, a radiant church that says, yes, I want to become like you, Lord Jesus. I want to reflect this list from within my spirit. And we ask for that grace in your name. Amen.